Ephesians 4, and um, you'll notice that it also quotes from Psalm 68, the section that we sang together. We'll talk about that more later. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes." Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And our text this morning is verses 11 and 12, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this morning we may witness the ordination of brothers Eric Decker and John Scoof to the office of elder, and the brothers Clint Wells and Nathan Jensen Van Doren to the office of deacon. And so this is a special day for us. But this ordination day, so to speak, comes on the church calendar for us regularly every year. And so you might, over time, start to get used to it. It becomes predictable, like the ebb and flow of the tide. It's easy to get used to this. It's easy to assume that this is a way that it always happens, a way that it should always happen, the way that it will always happen. 
Our passage this morning invites us to consider these things a little bit more deeply. We read together from Ephesians 4, the verses 1 through 16. And in verse 7, we read that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, we all have a customized gift. We all have a share in the measure of what Christ has obtained for us. But when it comes time to actually list these gifts, our passage begins by listing some of the offices in the church. And it says these offices and the office bearers who hold them then are the special gifts of God. In other words, all believers are gifted. Some believers become office bearers, and those office bearers, in turn, are God's gift to the church. So our text this morning tells us that these office bearers are God's gift to the church, to this church specifically. They are here for your benefit. And so what you are seeing here this morning is not just an annual event on the church calendar. What you are seeing is the work of the Holy Spirit in the Free Reformed Church of Mundajong today. And that work does not end there. It also involves you. So this morning, we will learn that our Ascended Lord gives us gifts through His Spirit. And we'll learn to thank your Ascended Lord for the gifts He gives through His Spirit. We'll see that He gives gifts to your church for you, and He gives gifts to you for your church. So the first question to consider this morning is what are spiritual gifts actually? There's a lot of misunderstanding about, about that topic, and as a topic in and of itself, we could spend a lot of time just on that. But, but briefly, if you look at Scripture more broadly, it seems to cover a quite diverse range of abilities. Consider, for example, the story of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, with which you would all be familiar. One spiritual gift that was given there was the ability to speak in a foreign language without having studied it. Another gift was the ability to preach boldly and eloquently and apparently without notes. 1 Corinthians 12 gives the list of spiritual gifts, which also includes gifts of healing, working, miracles, prophecy, and so on. And if you read further in the New Testament, you start to see that there are many different kinds of gifts. In fact, there is no one complete list of gifts in the New Testament. It is spread all over different passages. So our passage today is one of those, and it lists some of those gifts, and specifically the apostle focuses on the gift of office. But what, what's interesting is that he doesn't say that all office bearers are gifted. Now, it is true that all office bearers are gifted. If, if they weren't, then this congregation would not have voted for these men. But what it says in this passage is that all office bearers are gifts. That's different. He says in verse 11 that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers also to the congregation at Ephesus, also for their benefit. So what were these office bearers that the Holy Spirit gives? And again, in verse 11, he, he gives a few representative titles. First, he mentions the apostles. What is an apostle? Well, uh, the word simply comes from a Greek word that means to send. In other words, these were men who were personally sent by Christ. They had to be able to give eyewitness testimony concerning his time on earth. And you can see how important this was when you look at what happened after Judas committed suicide. 
when the other apostles had to replace him, they, they chose between two men, but both of those men had had personal experience with the Lord Jesus during his time on earth. And when the apostle James was put to death later on in Acts 12, we do, do not read of a successor being chosen so as to maintain a quorum, of, let's say, of 12 apostles. That didn't happen. Eventually, they all died. So the apostles were unique. Now, Paul, of course, was an apostle, but he considered himself the last of a series. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says that after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So Paul was last in that series. So you get the apostles, and then the next word mentioned in verse 11 is the prophets. The apostles brought the gospel. The prophets built up the congregation. They had to explain what Christ had done. They could predict the future. They could expose someone's heart, what was in someone's heart. And 1 Corinthians 14 speaks extensively about the role of prophets in the early church. It seems that it was quite common, but... Later on, that offer seems to die off as well. You don't really read much about prophets anymore in the pastoral epistles, the letters to Timothy and to Titus, which were written as a guide to office bearers. But you read lots about elders and deacons. Those were the gifts that the Holy Spirit had given to the church at Ephesus, or that the Holy Spirit had given for the benefit of the church at Ephesus. Now, are these specific offices also ones that he has given here in the church at Mandajang? And the answer is no. We can benefit, of course, from the work that they did in the past, but these office bearers themselves are no longer there because we live in a different era. Two chapters previously in Ephesians 2 verse 20, Paul refers to the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So the foundation has been laid. What remains now for us is to build on it. So there was no more new revelation. And again, it is true that the apostles were a gift to the church at Mundajang in a secondary sense. We still benefit from the work that they did. They brought the gospel. They wrote down the revelation that they received. But now that they are gone, we don't have any more apostles. And we don't need any more apostles because their words were written down for us. We call that the New Testament. And the same holds for the prophets. Now, what about the evangelists in those texts? He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. Well, um, an evangelist is someone who brings good news. What they did was basically missionary work. So to the degree that you see a parallel between the work of evangelists and missionaries, you could say that such work is still being done. So what about those last two entries then in our text? The shepherds and the teachers. The word and suggests that they belong together, the shepherds and teachers. You could argue that they're both variations on the same office. The word shepherd can also be translated as pastor, and it means the same thing. Pastor is simply the Latin word for shepherd. And now we get into more familiar territory for us today, because what are these shepherds and teachers? Well, they're simply two different kinds of elder. In 1 Peter 5, verse 2, Peter tells his fellow elders to shepherd the flock of God. So we know that this kind of shepherding, this kind of pastoring is something that elders did. 
And in 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, an overseer or an elder is someone who has to be able to teach. So the teachers could be, the elders could be teachers as well. And in 1 Timothy 5, verse 17, Paul writes, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So that tells us that all elders had oversight over the church, but there were some who were specialized and became full-time preachers, which is how it is today as well. Now, some of you might have noticed that this list of Paul's does not contain deacons. So what does that mean? Does that mean that deacons don't count? Are they not worthy of being on the list of spiritual gifts to the congregation? And some people think so. Some people see the office of deacon as training wheels on their way to becoming an elder. Or worse yet, they think that deacons deal with material things while elders deal with spiritual things. As if there's no connection between finances and your soul. And then they feel that the office of elder must be higher than that of deacon simply for that reason. Because, well, the deacons only write checks, but the elders, they deal with the real spiritual things. Did you know that this idea, this division of, between spiritual and material things is actually a heathen idea? And it comes from a very old heresy known as Gnosticism. The Gnostics said that material things are bad, but spiritual things are good. But the Bible tells us material things cannot be bad in and of themselves because they were created by God. The same God who created the spirits of human beings also created the world that their bodies inhabit, and we ought not to make that division. And it's a remarkable thing that we um, collectively, considering that our roots come from, from Europe, you could argue collectively we've been Christian for a thousand years already, and we still have these heathen ideas that lurk at the corners of our minds. It goes to show how deeply rooted that stuff is. Let's not bring these heathen ideas back into the church through a flawed view of the offices the fact is there is a lot of overlap between the office of elder and deacon. Acts 6 tells us that the reason the office of deacon appeared was so that the apostles would not have to neglect the preaching of the gospel. But if you look then at the list of qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, the qualifications for elder are basically the same as the qualification for deacon. So the fact is this, this list in Ephesians 4 is incomplete, and that was what we pointed out earlier as well, right? That there's these scattered lists Across the New Testament, there are other similar lists that do include deacons. So clearly, these deacons are gifts given to the congregation as well. The deacons also are given by Christ to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And now, our text says that Christ was the one who gave these offices. That is something very significant. It is Christ and no one else who has the right to give these offices to pour out the Holy Spirit on us, and with that, to also pour out spiritual gifts. Christ has earned the right to pour out God's gifts on His people. Christ has earned the right to give these men to this congregation, and we should not take that for granted at all, because the Bible is very clear that God cannot and will not dwell with man apart from some form of mediation, some form of intervention. The whole Old Testament sacrificial system was set up for this one reason, to carefully manage the relationship between a holy God and sinners. 
for God to live among men, the sin of man has to be removed from his presence. And the sacrificial system did that, but it did that temporarily. Christ did it permanently. Christ did that in his humiliation. So before you talk about gifts, you need to talk about the incarnation and the humiliation of our Lord. You need to talk about his suffering, about his crucifixion, about his resurrection, about his ascension. That's what our passage does as well. And it takes us on this, in a couple of verses, it sketches out quickly this whole trajectory of Christ's humiliation and of his exaltation. It says here, when he, when he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended, and it's thinking here of the incarnation, is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So it's giving us here a, an, a very quick, very potent overview of the work of Christ and of his work as a mediator and of his authority because that's what it comes down to. He is the one who had authority to take our sins away so that the Holy Spirit could take up residence in the church, so that the Holy Spirit could take up residence in his people. And verse 9 works with that background. It says if you're going to talk about his ascension, you need to talk about his humiliation. And once you've done that, once you've talked about his humiliation about his ascension, then you can talk about giving spiritual gifts. And then we can also talk about these gifts coming with the authority of Christ. He is the one who earned the right to give these gifts to the congregation. He is the one who therefore also bestows them on us. And they are gifts. Christ gave the offices. Think about how undeserved this is. His gifts are undeserved. Christ gives gifts to a world that hates him. Think about what your life would be like without Christ. Think about how this is described by Paul elsewhere. People who spend their time in malice, hated and hating one another. And then Christ draws people out of that, forms them into a church. And the children are born into that. It's an amazing thing. Christ gave these gifts. We don't deserve any of them. Ephesians 2 verse 3 says, We are by nature children of wrath. That means if you stand outside of Christ, outside of God's promises in Him, there is no mediator between you and God. There is no one to atone for your sin. And you are under the wrath of God at this very moment. So we should not take these things for granted. God does not owe us anything. As Paul says in Romans 11, 11 verse 35, who, who was given a gift to him that he would be repaid? God has created all things. What are you going to give back to him that wasn't given to you first? So the very fact that Christ gives spiritual gifts to these kinds of people at this time and this place is an act of grace. It is God's undeserved favor to sinners. Any gift that God gives to us is a gift of his grace. So these men who are going to be given to you as congregation this morning are God's gift to you. And not only are they God's gift to you, they are God's gift that you do not deserve. So why does he do it? Verse 12 of our text says it is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Why do we need to be equipped? Because by nature we have nothing to give back to God except for our sin. 
That's why we need God's gift. When God takes away our sins, He gifts us. And these gifts are meant to make us attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. In other words, not only have we received the gift of belonging to Christ, but all of His gifts are meant to lead us to become even more like Christ. That is why we're given office bearers as well, to help us with that. It is grace from beginning to end. Now, one thing that we should still focus on before we move is the wording of verse 8. That's an echo of Psalm 68, verse 18. Now, if you read Psalm 68, verse 18, it says, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men. But verse 8 says here, when Paul rewrites it, it's, he rewrites it to say, he ascend, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Not received them, but gave them. Why the difference? Well, it's part and parcel of the same theology of the ascension. The significance is not that different. The, the difference is not that significant. The point is that Psalm 68 is a psalm of God's ascension, God's conquering. And when someone in those days conquered, he would receive gifts, but he would also hand them out. So both of these renditions are describing the same idea. And what did Christ conquer? Anything that stood up against him. So he conquered the devil. He resisted sin. He conquered death. And in doing so, he took captives of his own. In his ascension, it was this triumphant return as victorious Lord, drawing captives along with him, people that, that the Holy Spirit has converted. Think of Paul himself here as an apostle. Paul used to persecute Christians. Christ conquers him. He makes him an apostle. That is something supernatural. There is only a, there's no one else who could do that except for our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And every time that someone believes in Christ, he is conquered. So think about that. As far as these men who will stand before you today go, Christ could not have given them as gifts to this congregation if he had not first conquered them himself. They are his gifts. And his gifts must be received in thankfulness. By receiving these gifts, you receive something that is given to you by the Lord. Now, not everyone believes that, you know. Sometimes you get people who sound very spiritual when they talk, but they don't have much use for the established church or church leadership. They do not respect the fact that God gives gifts to the members, that He has given gifts in the members. They are skeptical. They think that consistory is an old boys' club. They know who these men are. They might say, well, this is just Eric. This is just John. This is just Clint. This is just Nathan. We know who they are. We know them with their shortcomings. And maybe people might speak of them even with scorn, but that attitude does not do justice to our text. It clearly says here that the office bearers have been given by Christ to equip the saints. They come as office bearers. They are being given to you as office bearers, as men who occupy this office given to you by Christ to equip the saints. And if you don't believe that, then what other parts of the Bible do you not believe? And is this attitude pleasing to the Lord? Are we scorning the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst? No, 
we should thank our ascended Lord for the gifts that he gives through his spirit. If all things, if you believe in providence, as you should, as we confess as well in the catechism, all things come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. This congregation is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This congregation chose these men to be office bearers. Therefore, the Holy Spirit chose these men through that process. Therefore, they are what we need at this time with their skills, with their capacities, with their giftings. He gives gifts to your church for you, but he also gives gifts to you for your church. It's a two-way thing, and we'll look at that next. So one very important point that comes out of this chapter, Ephesians 4, is that everyone has a gift. Everyone has a gift. Ephesians 4 verse 7 says that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Yes, the office bearers are gifted, but it doesn't stop there. They're not the only gifted ones in the congregation. Everybody has a gift. But do you believe that? Because there are people who don't. They'd rather be left alone. Also in this congregation, we have members who would prefer to be left alone, who would rather be spiritual consumers. They might never say that out loud, but they live it. And they're functionally denying that they have a gift. But if you feel spoken to today, why are you denying that you have a gift when Scripture so clearly says that you do? Are you not then denying the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Are you not denying the ascension of our Lord since all gifts flow out of that? Understand, dear brothers and sisters, that Christ did not die only for your salvation. Salvation is a very broad term. It does not only encompass your deliverance from sin. It's much broader than that. It includes everything. He died to give you these gifts. He descended into the lower regions. He was incarnated. He suffered. He died. He was buried. He ascended. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He poured out the Holy Spirit so that you can have these gifts. Take it seriously. Now, maybe you don't think you have a gift because you've never developed it. Maybe no one has ever told you that you have a gift. And fathers among us, you more than anyone else, have that power over the life of your child to encourage them or to discourage them. The things that children learn when they grow up in the home will shape them for the rest of their lives. Have you encouraged your children to develop their spiritual gifts? Do you believe that your children have spiritual gifts? Or have you implicitly conveyed to them that they'll never really amount to anything? Maybe that's how you were raised. Consider this passage a time to, to rethink that mindset. Gifts need to be encouraged, and that is one important role of the office bearers. Our text clearly says they need to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We do not have ministry producers and ministry consumers. That's not how the church works. They need to equip the saints for doing the work of ministry. How do you do that? Well, sometimes it's, sim it's something as simple as pointing out a need and asking them to step up to the plate. And it could be a good question to ask on your visits. How do you feel God has gifted you? How are you using your gifts in the congregation? 
In Romans 12, the apostle says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. There's a huge diversity of giftings here. And Paul is saying we all have gifts according to the grace given to us. So use them. A church that is in tune with the Holy Spirit will find a place for each person to serve. Often that takes the shape of volunteering, sometimes not even in an official capacity. But let us then also be willing to volunteer. See it as a chance to to come to know a spiritual gift that you have, to exercise it. Don't be too quick to say no if you're asked to serve in a particular capacity to lead club, for example, to write an introduction, to um, help someone out, to look after a particular need. Don't be too quick to say no or no, that's not my gifting or no, I'm not comfortable with that. The Lord has given gifts to you for your church. How will you know what they are if you never try to use them? And of course, with everything in life, it takes time, right? First time you do something, it might be awkward. But over time, you grow in these areas, and that's the beauty of life and communion together. We encourage each other. Gifts are to be shared. There are no spiritual producers and spiritual consumers. Everybody is gifted, and those gifts are not for the private use of the individual. That's a problem with the gift of tongues as our Pentecostal friends understand it. What they understand as a gift of tongues is actually a gift that's useless to the body as a whole. You can't re-gift it. What are you going to do with it? Here in our text from Ephesians, gifts are not primarily for the individual, but they are for the service of the church. And all of this growth happens in the congregation. So yes, you need to be part of the congregation. That's where you benefit from the gifts of others. That's where your gifts are grown and utilized and developed. So we need you. We need you. We need your gifts We need you here to build up the congregation. We need you. Now, maybe you would love to exercise the gifts in the congregation, but you are frustrated because you feel your opportunity has not yet come. If that is you, be faithful. Exercise the gifts in other capacities for the time being. In the end, that's not about you. It's about building up the body. So if the Lord desires you to serve in a particular capacity, He will make it happen. And if not, then so be it. There will be other opportunities to serve. So what does it mean for us this morning? It means that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Pentecost, is still at work in our midst today. These men who will be ordained come to you out of the grace of Christ. They come to you in the context of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in this church, in this place, not only restricted to the pages of an ancient history, but the true and living Spirit among us today. And that's humbling. That's humbling to see. It's humbling to be a part of a church where the Holy Spirit is active, and that should make us deeply thankful. So let's give thanks to our ascended Lord for the gifts that He gives through His Spirit. Amen.